Hi, my name is Peter Maestri, and you're listening to Divorce the First Six Months. If you are someone who is about to go through a divorce, or maybe you're healing from one, then you're in the right place. This conversation and the stories you're going to listen to focus on people who have gone through a divorce, and more importantly, how they navigated through it. Having said that, let's get right into it. In- so this leads me to a great question. Sorry to interrupt, but this leads me to a really great question because um, I think one of the things that's interesting one about me interviewing you is that I've not been divorced. Okay. And I've not been married. Um, I have experienced um, significant loss of relationship, you know, a 17 year career, things like that, which people say are very similar in, in my experience, there is a moment when you know, it's not right. Like, unfortunately I feel like this is like a hindsight thing too. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't catch it in the moment, but it is this, it is this feeling people may call it intuition or their, their, me and my girlfriends call it our witchy powers. Something kicks in and it gives you like an inkling, like something's not right. And I know in my most significant relationship, there was a moment when I knew there was, I shouldn't say I knew, cause I didn't know there was a moment where there was a disconnect, a, a, Mm-hmm. Um, something started to fray at the cord between mm-hmm. us and I ignored it because I was so excited that somebody was loving me in that way. Yeah. And so I wanted you to speak to like that moment, not as a, not as it like, you know, watch out for the moment to people. Like that's not <laughs> what this is about. Right. Cause But I think that when you are willing to look back and be authentic and vulnerable about what you've been dealing with, about what you've been going through, that when you can see those moments, they do support you and guide you for the future. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see, like, did that happen where there was a moment and it's something small. It's never a big thing. The big thing that happens, I feel like, is always the like symptom of that first intuitional or instinctual thing. You know, it's something small they say or something small they do where it's like, Oh, wait a minute, this wait. But it's like, but I love them. Yeah. I wanted to see if you could just speak to that for you. What was your experience with that? What was that moment? If you know it. Oh, I know. it. And, And how did you try to, make that feeling go away. So the moment was my birthday. It was um, little over a month of us getting married. And I remember going up the stairs of this, the house that I'm in right now. And she was in the bedroom and it was my birthday. And she had always made birthdays a big deal. Like I always worked through birthdays and then I stopped working through birthdays as a result of knowing how important it was to her. So it was my birthday and I was the happiest kid on the block. I was married. I, I mean, this was life for me. And I remember going, she said something and I said, oh, that's it. And I was being, I'm a sarcastic person, but I'm sarcastic, funny, real. Like I'm always being as honest as I can be, but I'm, my self-expression, when I'm being sarcastic, you know that I'm being fully self-expressed. Yes, and, I do. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way I play. 
but I'm always, I always use the truth to do it in a way that's funny and lighthearted, at least in my, in my mind. And there's been times where I've pressed it and, and I accept responsibility for it. But in this particular moment, I remember saying to her something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of like, that's it. And then smiling because in my world, she is, she was always, um, detail oriented. So when she did something, she did it from scratch and every birthday that I experienced with her, she did something from scratch for me. But at this particular birthday was the morning and she hadn't given me anything or done anything. And I wanted to feel extra special that day because I had, I was married. I had, mm -hmm. I had a, you know, a stepdaughter. We bought a house, you know, there was so many different, oh man, I was living the dream. It's like the white picket fence, the whole nine. And she looked at me and she was angry and she said something to me and it was so disconnected from where I was. And I remember at that exact moment feeling separated from her. And it was the first time that I had ever felt that. Mm. Later I found out. So she had always, um, even moving in together and everything, I was always trying to be slow. And she was like, well, we you should move in together. You know, what are you going to, cause she lived in Washington, DC. I lived here oh, um, wow. in Los Angeles. And I met her at, uh, I met her in Washington with my mom um at a film festival that my mom was my guest because my director couldn't go and it was a romance from even when i met her if i told you the story you would be like wow that's how you guys met so when she did that that day on my birthday she had always told me i want to have your baby i want to have your baby i want to have your baby she did that for a while in that moment the first thing that came to my mind was and I remember it being my birthday and it was so distinct because I looked at her and it was so many things happened within a five second span. My mind immediately remembered the last time that she told me that she wanted to have a baby. And it was around six months before that moment. And I thought to myself, oh my God, something's wrong here. Mm. Later, I found out whether it's true or not. And I don't know if it's true, but I'll tell you how I handle it. And I can only be judged for what I do. She told me that she had a miscarriage somewhere inside that span. Now, I don't know where that conversation came from or why she even said that to me, but it was, I was telling her, I'm like, Hey, my birthday, you know, I just wanted to feel special. And I didn't mean to upset you or, or say that you didn't do enough. I just, I was being sarcastic and I was being funny. It was, there was no significance to that moment for me. And then she told me that she had a miscarriage and this and that. And I looked at her and I said, you know, whatever's meant to be is meant to be, but I'm committed to you for a lifetime. Whether we have a child or not, you have my heart. So if you had a miscarriage and then that's just part of the process, maybe you're stressed out, maybe you're that, maybe, maybe you need to take, maybe we should go on vacation and not have to worry about so much. We had started a business together. I was doing really good in my career. Like I was, a lot of things were taking off. So I said, why don't we just slow down? So there was a lot of things. I don't know if that answered your question directly. But yeah, well, I think there was a moment that you knew. But then I think what people will be interested in is what did you say to yourself? How did you then justify that moment of disconnect? I made myself wrong. Is you have to justify that moment. So what I did in that moment and all the moments that led up until the point where I started, I started to make myself important is that I blamed myself. 
I looked at what I did that was wrong and I said, oh man, I, I messed this up. I fucked it up. This is my fault. I can do yeah. better. I can be better. I can fix this. So I put my producing hat on and I was like, all right, well, what's not working? What's not working is that she's not happy and she, she didn't like that I did that and I'm not going to do that. So I declared to her, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to play around with words and, and in that fashion again. I'm not so going to use so, so you're so that sarcastic, jovial, mm-hmm. fun poke at you, which mm-hmm. people that are listening, he's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Um, he does it all the time, especially to the people he loves. Yep. Um, I've been a victim of it myself, and I will call myself a victim of it. Yep. Um, that suppression, your expression of love, right? Yeah. That you poking fun at people, being sarcastic, you know, joking around is like you hugging people. It's you kissing people on the cheek. It's how you love people. And what I'm hearing is you squelch that suppression or that expression, sorry, you suppressed the expression of your love to people mm-hmm. in, in, for the cause of being a better husband. Yeah. And I think that is such a critical thing for people that are listening to this podcast in any situation that you are in, when you have to alter your expression of love for um, someone or something, that is a sign right there. And we are so conditioned to like, especially when you're in the personal growth space, the way you and I have been, we're so conditioned to you know, look at, look within, look at ourselves, look at ourselves, look at ourselves, look at ourselves, look at ourselves. And I think what we miss it, we, I used to, (laughs) I used to have this mentor that used to say, you know, looking at yourself for where you can be responsible doesn't mean you roll over and eat. She said shit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really critical in this moment. As we look at this, this kind of, this pivotal moment in your marriage and in your life, where for 40 years, you know, you were waiting for this woman and the marriage for 40 years, 40 years of your self-expression, the way you love people and people love you. I mean, people just love you instantly. You then justified suppressing your expression of love to become a better man. And it's in that moment that it, it's quick, man. It is so quick that that thought where you took yourself and that's where you began to take yourself away. But what we don't do is look at where, where am I compromising who I am? There's the things that you'll compromise that you do because it annoys someone else. You know, like I won't leave my coffee cup on the counter because mm-hmm. that annoys your partner and you want to, you know, you want to give them a great experience. But when you start um, suppressing the way in which you love someone or express yourself, I think that's a big sign. And, and I think that's something I want to pull out here as like a, if we could rip a page out of Peter's book of his life that you could give away to make a difference for someone else who's going through this, dealing with it, or wanting to figure out what the lesson is that they need to learn out of um, divorcing their spouse. It's, when if you are suppressing the expression of who you are and you're the way that you love people that is something yeah to look at and it's critical and it's like crucial um so and the thing is that you know 
like when it happens you as a person you know exactly what's happening yeah your spirit like you call it something different i i call it spirit my spirit in that moment on my birthday knew exactly what was going on yeah i yeah. was i was told in five seconds like hey be careful with this this is happening yeah, yeah. so i want to fast forward a bit from that moment where you kind of altered who you were, where you began to disconnect yourself from your wife. Mm -hmm. I want to fast forward to having you share about the moment of your divorce. And then for our listeners too, I want to, after that, we're going to get into like the aftermath. But I, I think why I'm not necessarily having you share about the first six months after your divorce is because I really am I really want people to know who you are and why this message of moving yourself through the space of divorce is so important to you. And I think it resides in the story of your, of your actual divorce mm -hmm. of that moment and leading up to when the marriage was over. And then I want to look at <laughs> the first few weeks. Cause that is in of itself. Um, I think something that people will, gain a lot of insight into why this is so important that um, people have support and hear this message when they're um, divorcing. So let's fast forward to, um, I think like a couple weeks it is, mm -hmm. but let, lead us up to the moment in the kitchen, we'll call it. And for, and I'm, I'm going to give people a preview and you might kill me and that's okay. Cause I love you. Okay. Um, as Peter and I have been developing his story and his message, one of the chapters, one of the things that we call, which is the final um, kind of oomph, is called take back your kitchen or take your kitchen back because it was in his kitchen where it all went down. And Peter and I were sitting in his dining room looking and he's pointing and he's going, that's where she stood. That's where I stood. This is, and I'm, and I'm watching the kitchen as Peter is telling me the story, as you're telling me the story and I'm like visualizing this go down and it is, um, it's heart wrenching and, and it's, it's, um, moving and it is everything that people think that those moments are. And I think it's important for us to be real about those moments. So I, I want, I want to take, I want you to bring us to that moment of, where it ended and just kind of like right before. Mm -hmm. And then I want to get into a little bit about what happened immediately after. So 10 months after I, it was my birthday and mm -hmm. I, 10 months after that is when that kitchen moment happened. The yeah. month before that kitchen happened, actually a couple months before that kitchen happened, my mom was telling me, you know, pay attention to yourself. You know, you're important because every conversation that I had was always like, you know, I need to do more. I need to do, I need to be better. I need to blah, 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 blah. So two months before that, there was already a disconnect. Um, you know, I was, I was taking her out on more dates, like maybe two or three dates a week. We would go to Broadway play. We would go to, um, to the movies. I would just do generic things. Um, for her just trying you know trying to salvage what what i thought was broken because there was no um emotional connection 
I mean, even the the love making, it wasn't love making, it was sex. And if you don't know the difference, <sighs> I feel bad for you because there's a huge difference between sex and love making. Um, and up until that point, it was always love making for me. And then it became sex, I guess, because it wasn't. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. So two that's two a, months that's before a that, podcast for another that's a day. whole nother <laughs> podcast, man. And I, I mean, I would be a really good one. That would be a really <laughs> freaking. <figure. laughs> Write that down, Abby. That'll be our next one. Good. So two months before that, what was what was happening was um, the disconnect, and um, th- there was one moment she so she started taking a, an online class. Cause I, I was always supporting her inside of like school and, and like advancing. She was a concert pianist. So I was like, why don't we go back to that? Why don't we go? So I remember having dinner with her. I'm like, I just, I'll manage you. I'll, I'll work less and we'll concentrate on your career so that you can be fulfilled as a person. You know, she, she had always said that her having a daughter um, kind of stifled getting to where she wanted to get to. And I'm like, well, look, she, your daughter's grown up. I'm okay with, with, you know, managing or supporting you or producing you. I know how to produce. It's what I do. My career was also taking off like big time to the point where I was like Sundance had selected me to be one of two people to represent them in, in Europe at, at the Rotterdam labs. That's a big deal. Another film that I had was, was like, we had two movies in, in Netflix. It was, it's a big deal. So for me as an independent filmmaker, what I realized that happened inside those moments was that I was just doing too much and it wasn't doing enough for me. And she was just pulling away. There was an earthquake that happened and I was at a friend's house. I'm like, listen, I'm going to go to a friend's house. Why don't you come with me? She would always go with me to that friend's house. She has a beach house and he would throw parties every now and then. And she said, no, 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 I'm going to study. I remember when the earthquake happened, I was at the beach. My first phone call was to her. She didn't answer her phone. That was at five o'clock. She didn't answer her phone that entire night. I remember driving home an hour after the earthquake hit, after calling her about 10 times, didn't answer the phone. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go drive to her friend's house. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I trust her. So I went home. The next morning, she calls me at 11 a.m. And I'm like, there was an earthquake and this and that. She's like, oh, I fell asleep. We were studying. That the next two months were like that. I fell asleep studying. She was always studying at a friend's house. Always this, always that. I was taking the daughter to school. I was doing, um, I was doing all the the heavy lifting, the cooking, the cleaning, and and all of that stuff because I was compensating for making it work. You know, I was like, all right, man, fuck, I fucked it up. I'm I'm not gonna let this slide by. So, I'm. <laughs> I got so wrapped up in my story that I forgot what the question was. Well, you're moving us to that moment in the kitchen. To the moving into the kitchen. So this conversation started because someone challenged me to be vulnerable. So I'm challenging you. Share yourself and your story. Be courageous. Be vulnerable. It makes a difference. <laughs>